Well, we'll turn again to Deuteronomy chapter 32, and we'll come on to that in a moment. You know, we constantly talk about the end times and that there's going to be eventually a one-world church and a one-world government. And people disagree with this, of course, but if they keep their eyes open, they will see events happening here and there which point to these events. A, a new United Nations report calls for abandoning the US dollar as the main global reserve currency, saying it has been unable to safeguard value. The dollar has proved not to be a stable store of value which is a requisite for a stable reserve currency. The United Nations World Economic and Social Survey 2010 said. The report supports replacing the dollar with the International Monetary Fund's special drawing rights. <clears throat> They're called SDRs. An international reserve asset that is used as a unit of payment on IMF loans to various countries and is made up of a basket of currencies. The United Nations report said a new global reserve system could be created, one that, is no, that no longer relies on the United States dollar as the single major reserve currency. The report said a new reserve system, and the quote is, must not be based on a single currency or even multiple national currencies, but instead should permit the emission of international liquidity, such as SDRs, these um, SDRs, which are the International Monetary Fund's special drawing rights. And these will create a more stable global financial system. And Russia and China have also supported the idea. So it's all heading towards a, a global currency and global government. So that's interesting for people who study end times. You know, we often uh, talk about various people while we're speaking and now and again I've mentioned a man called Richard Foster. Richard Foster's writings have been at the forefront of the contemplative movement way back since the 1970s. No one has done more than this chap to spread contemplative mysticism throughout the Protestant churches and presumably even the Catholic churches. He wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline and it has sold more than two and a half million copies and was selected by Christianity Today as one of the top ten books of the 20th century. He's a contemplative pioneer, Richard Foster, remember that name. And it's interesting, I thought, to, to look at the background of this chap. 
He grew up among the Quakers, the religious society of friends. He was trained at the George Fox College. George Fox was one of the early uh, Quakers. And he's even pastored Quaker churches and taught at the Friends University in Kansas. He's perhaps known as the best known Quaker in the world today. The Quakers are a strange movement. They do not practice the, the normal practices of the church. As far as I'm aware, they don't practice communion or baptism. But it's very important that when we see the background of Quakerism, why this chap has been so influential in the contemplative pioneer movement. They were a little bit like the Oxford movement, and you'll see why in a way. The Quaker connection is important because one of their peculiar doctrines is direct revelation via an inner light. This is defined in a variety of ways since Quakerism is very individualistic. You don't have any creeds, but it refers to a divine presence and guidance in every man. There is an emphasis on being still and silent and passive in order to receive guidance from the inner light. The various terms for this inner light, the light of God, the light of Christ, inward light, the light, light within, Christ within, the spirit of Christ. George Fox used the expression, quote, that of God in everyone. In his journal he said, I was glad that I was commanded to turn people to that inward light, spirit and grace by which all might know their salvation and their way to God. Even that divine spirit which would lead them into all truth and which I infallibly knew would never deceive any. Uh, another prominent Quaker of way back, Robert Barday, called the, this the light of the heart and said there is an evangelical and saving light and grace in all. Isaac Pennington said there is that near you which will guide you. Oh wait for it and be sure you keep it. The inner light teaching comes from that verse in John 1 verse 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Yet, this verse doesn't say that there is a divine light in every man. It merely says that Christ gives light to every man. The Epistle of Romans tells us more about this. There is a light of creation in Romans 1.20, the light of conscience, Romans 2.14-16, and the light of the scripture, Romans 3.2. When men respond to the light that they have, they are given more light. If we seek God, we will find him. But because of the fall, unsaved man has a darkened heart 
doesn't have that light. The inner light teaching was exalted above reliance on the Bible. The early Quakers' reliance on the Bible as a source of spiritual knowledge and inspiration was secondary to their belief in the inner light as the primary path to salvation and communication with God. They just are prepared to sit there with their minds blank. That is not biblical meditation. The Oxford movement had the same idea. They would sit with a, pe a, a, a pad and paper and write down whatever came into their hearts. And they were led astray. You need to be very careful of any contemplative uh, spirituality which is creeping in to churches all over the place. Right, and it's just good to remember these fellows' names. Richard Foster. And uh, beware of anything that he has written. Stay clear of it. <clears throat> well, let's get back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32. And we will just read again the first few verses. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O ye earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. <clears throat> they have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath brought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? We're studying this great song of Moses. We haven't got too far along uh, the song just yet, but I'm sure we'll get a bit further on today. We've seen so far the importance of sound doctrine based on the word of God. If our doctrine is sound, then we will and then we can only accurately proclaim the greatness of God. We have seen that he is our rock, his work is perfect, his ways and judgments are just and right. He is the God of truth. We saw that Jesus showed how Satan when he was upbraiding the Pharisees, he said, You're of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And what he was saying to these people was, You're just 
like the son of your father, the devil. Sons take after their fathers. That's what he was saying to them. Right from the first lie recorded in Genesis, right down through history, we see this working out in people and nations, following their father, the devil. You know, Israel had been specially chosen by God to be his special possession. We, we have been saying this all the way through our talks in Deuteronomy. You know, way back, many months ago, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, we studied these words. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Isn't that an amazing thing? They were to be above all people that are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. You weren't all that big and powerful. No. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. See what it said in verse 6. He is thy father that hath brought thee. He brought you out with a mighty hand. And redeemed you out of the house of the bondmen. From the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God. He is God. The faithful God. Which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and you know I was just reading that last night will that covenant does that covenant still hold firm in relation to Israel today what guarantee is there from God that his covenant with Israel stands firm had to read this. Listen to what God says. Jeremiah 31, 35. Thus saith the Lord. You know, so often people say, and we, we, we've said this so often in these, in our studies of Deuteronomy, people say, yes, I know God says that, but in my opinion, or something like that, when the Bible says, thus saith the Lord, it means, thus saith the Lord. There's no room for man's ideas. There was no room for man's ideas in the building of the tabernacle. It doesn't come into it. It's what the Lord said. What, is, what did Paul say in Galatians? Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Thus saith the Lord. Which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night. Which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. You get the picture? 
God who produced the sun to go on its orbit and the moon to come on its, its orbit and to give light and heat and the waves know their, their boundaries. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Here's another translation. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. That's who does all that. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. If the orbits start going haywire, if the sun doesn't shine tomorrow, then that is a sign that God will desert Israel. But if they keep there, that's the guarantee that Israel has that the offspring of Israel will not cease from being a nation before him forever. Whenever you get concerned about people, so-called replacement theology, just read those verses. But sadly, we now read here in verse 5, here's what it says. I'm reading from another translation. They have dealt corruptly with him. Not his children's is their spot. A crooked and a perverted generation. The Revised Standard says, They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because of their blemish. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Israel had gone away from God. God had said that he would be a husband to Israel. He would be as a, as a husband to them. Look at what it says in Ezekiel 23. Ezekiel 23 in verse 5. God was to be their husband. Speaking of Israel, Israel and Judah, two, two women's names here, Ahola and Aholaba. Ahola played the harlot when she was mine, and she doted on her lovers, on the Assyrians her neighbours. Verse 11. And when her sister, Aholabah, saw this, she was more corrupt in her inordinate love than she, and in her whoredoms, more than her sister in her whoredoms. They departed from God. They went to whoring after the idols of the nations round about them. Verse 5 says they have dealt corruptly with God. 
they're no longer his children because of their blemish they are perverse and crooked Israel had failed to keep God's law keep God's law and to walk righteously before him Israel was blemished weak corrupt perverse and crooked but you know God knew their weaknesses we saw a few weeks ago that even when Moses would depart this life they would go further into sin Moses says in chapter 31 and verse 27 for I know thy rebellion thy stiff neck behold while I am yet alive with you this day ye have been rebellious against the Lord and how much more after my death God had revealed this to Moses but you know God knew right from the start that Israel would go a perverse way way back in Genesis 15 God made a covenant or he cut as they call it a covenant with Abram we have no record of Abraham agreeing to that covenant Genesis 15 verse 7 and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark behold a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces God had said take me an heifer three year old heifer a she goat three years old and a ram three years old and he said to divide them up there were some birds as well but the, the animals were divided up and this is the way a covenant was made in those days and those making the covenant divided the animals up and then they walked through that between the, the, the animals and that was a sign uh, in blood that they would keep that covenant God told Abraham to do this God when the sun went down this light smoking furnace went between the pieces but Abraham didn't there's no record of Abraham because God knew that Abraham would not keep that covenant that Israel would fail but God made the covenant with Israel man he knew would not keep it so verse 5 says they have dealt corruptly with him they are no longer his children because of their blemish they are a perverse and crooked generation Israel had a blemish and they had the spots of sin <coughs> sin in their hearts was evident for all to see how by the spots showing in their actions towards a holy and righteous God we get the measles how do we know we have the measles because spots appear on our faces and over our body the spots were evident for all to see in the way Israel acted towards their gracious God who was a rock, a God of truth, a God of no iniquity. 
they sinned grievously against he who would have been their husband. They went to whoring after false gods. You know, the Bible tells us that man, as soon as a little baby is born, the Bible tells us that child is born in sin and shapen in iniquity. We are born with a blemish. And soon that little child will show the spots of sin by wrongdoing. You don't have to teach a child to do wrong. You have to nurture a child to do good. Bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. You know, people, we've all, we know this so well. People may look respectable, live apparently good lives, honest, upright, pay their taxes, give to the poor. In fact, to all intents and purposes, jolly good people. But you know, as Christians, we have bad news for good people. If they have not been to the cross of Calvary and to the Saviour who died upon the cross and have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, still in God's sight they are spotted by sin. Just as Israel here in Deuteronomy 32, they're spot. They've got these blemishes and spots of sin. <clears throat> I was reminded of the story of Naaman. We all know the story of Naaman. It was a great story when we were kids. 2 Kings 5, verse 1, it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honourable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty a man in valour. Naaman, do you know, his name meant pleasantness. He was the army chief of staff, well thought of by the king, honourable. By him the Lord had given Syria victory, a mighty man of strength, ability and efficiency. Now that was a great CV for anybody to have and would be today. You meet somebody who's the chief of staff, well in with the, 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 the government, well in with the palace, honourable, man who had gained victories on the battlefield, a man of great strength and ability and efficiency. We would look up to him. But you know, the last four, five words of that first verse of Second Kings 5, but he was a leper. He had a life-extinguishing blemish. Beneath that fine facade lurked a blemish which could not be cured. That is, until a little girl, a captive maid, who worked 
in his house. And until, as a result of that, he met the servant of the God of Israel. And you know, then he had to bow in humility to that God. To that God's commands. And to be washed in the Jordan. And be cleansed. I often think when I read that story that Naaman lived up to his his name Pleasantness because that little captive maid was so concerned for him and for his life. May we have that concern for those who have a blemish, the spots of sin in their lives. You know, Naaman had to learn that wealth, position, and anything he could do did not have any place in his cleansing. He just had to get rid of all his glory and get into the Jordan River to be cleansed, to obey what the prophet of God had said was God's word. And we know of many such people today, I'm sure, who are fine upright citizens of this nation but they too like Naaman have a deadly disease it's called sin not a physical disease like Naaman but a spiritual disease called sin and God says the soul that sinneth it shall die unless as this old hymn says have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Saviour's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the of the Lamb. You know, this is very elementary teaching, but it is good to remind ourselves of these basic truths. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? <clears throat> and that's the only, the only way for our blemishes of sin to be removed. You know, Israel knew the story of their redemption from the ruler in Egypt. And they knew that was through the death of a lamb without blemish, pointing to our redemption of the lamb of God without blemish. First Peter one eighteen for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot Israel had a blemish mankind has a blemish and it 
is only through the blood of the Lamb. The cross of Jesus Christ that that blemish can be removed. Let's move on to verse 6. Do ye thus requite the Lord? Do ye thus recompense and repay the Lord? That's the question. first four verses show what a wonderful God they had. How the doctrine of God was important. How that God was their rock. He was a God of truth. He was just and righteous. And he had done so much. He brought them to the borders of the promised land here. But Moses said they were corrupt. They were perverse. They were rebellious. And he says, is that how you recompense God? For all that he has done for you. He redeemed you out of Egypt. Brought you through that wicked wilderness. Brought you here on the borders of the promised land. And this is the way you recompense him. Oh foolish and unwise people. Is not he thy father that uh, brought thee? Let's look at that again. Is he not thy father that brought thee? Brought thee out of the land of Egypt? Hath he not made thee and established thee? It is as, as if Moses just cannot understand his people. He can't, he can't get around this. God has done all this. Way. Is, this a, is this the way you repay him? God had blessed them and been so gracious to them and this is how they repaid him. He had redeemed them from Egypt. And more than that, he had made them and established them. We mentioned the verse last week, I think it was, in Psalm 40, verse 2. He, he brought me up out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock and established my goings. Established my goings. He was their rock and he wished to establish them, but they recompensed him with sin and evil. What a terribly sad portion we're studying here today. A people that had recompensed evil for good to a loving God. But what about you and me? How do I requite God? for his goodness look at Psalm 90 and verse 17 and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us yea the work of our hands established thou it 
may we pray that prayer of the psalmist. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house. They labour in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh but in vain. May he establish us daily in our walk with him. As he has taken us out of the miry clay. And he set us upon a rock. We have strayed away. May we follow him closely. The king of love. My shepherd is. Whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his and he is mine. Forever. Where streams of living water flow. My ransomed soul he leadeth. And where the verdant pastures grow with food. Celestial feedeth. And this reminded me of Israel. Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. In death's dark vale I fear no ill with thee, dear Lord beside me, thy rod and staff, my comfort still, thy cross before to guide me. Thou spreadst a table in my sight, thy unction grace bestoweth. And oh, what transport of delight from thy pure chalice floweth. And so, through all the length of days, thy goodness faileth never. Good shepherd, may I sing thy praise within thy house forever. The following is an addendum to last week's talk and to this week's talk. Strange thing I discovered this week. Those who have been listening may have noticed that when reading Deuteronomy 32 verse 6, I have read it slightly differently once or twice. I have read portion of it as follows. Is not he thy father that hath bought thee? And this is in most of, if not all the King James versions, except the version I use in the service. The Hebrew-Greek key study Bible, King James Version, 1991. It says, Is not he thy father that hath brought thee? So one says bought thee, and the other says brought thee. As a matter of interest, the Amplified Version seems to cover both of the above. It says, Is not he your father who acquired you for his own? The Israelites were bought out of Egypt. The Israelites were redeemed from Egypt through the blood and death of a lamb without blemish, bought with a price, all pointing to the Lamb of God. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Those righteous saints in Old Testament times went to the righteous section of Hades, Abraham's bosom. Their sins had been covered, but the penalty of those sins had not yet been dealt with because of and through the forbearance of God. When Christ died, those sins were dealt with, as were all sins, past, present and future. That is why those saints were in Abraham's bosom, awaiting Christ's death and resurrection, and were led by Christ out of Hades to glory in his wonderful resurrection, when having spoiled principalities and authorities, he made a show of them publicly and led those saints out in triumph. Paul reminded the Corinthians and he said, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In a similar sense, the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. Exodus 12:17 and ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread for in this selfsame day have i brought your armies out of the land of egypt therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever the passover god through the obedience of the israelites to his command to slay the lamb and place the blood on the doorposts and the lintel had brought them out, led them forth from Egypt in victory. Way back in Deuteronomy 6.21, it says, Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Verse 23, And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in, to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. So we have been brought out of this world. As the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, when we trusted Christ as our Saviour, he brought us out. Our citizenship is now in heaven. We've been brought nigh, it says in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ. So, although most versions say bought, and my Bible says brought, I believe both are wonderful truths as to what Christ has won for us at Calvary. Listen to this old hymn. In tenderness he sought me, weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again, while angels in his presence sang until the courts of heaven rang. He washed the bleeding sin wounds and poured in oil and wine. He whispered to assure me, I found thee, thou art mine. 
I never heard a sweeter voice. It made my aching heart rejoice. He pointed to the nail prints. For me his blood was shed. A mocking crown so thorny was placed upon his head. I wondered what he saw in me to suffer such deep agony. I am sitting in his presence, the sunshine of his face, while with adoring wonder his blessings I retrace. It seems as if eternal days are far too short to sound his praise. So, while the hours are passing, all now is perfect rest. I am waiting for the morning, the brightest and the best, when he will call us to his side to be with him his spotless bride. And the chorus, Oh, the love that sought me, Oh, the blood that bought me, Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold, Wondrous grace that brought me to the fold.